0: Welcome to Hooked on Bond, where three longtime fans discuss the James Bond films.
1: Welcome to episode four. I'm Brian. Uh, this is Edmund. And this is Gary. time, we are looking at Thunderball from 1965, starring Sean Connery. And Edmund, why don't you give us a quick plot summary here?
0: Uh, sure. This is uh, Thunderball is uh, again uh, revolving around Spectre, who this time um, have uh, decided to deal some nuclear warheads um, and uh, also the Avro Vulcan plane that's carrying them. And uh, it, uh, it's uh, there's a whole sequence at the beginning of the film um, where Bond is sent to a uh, a health spa, basically, for uh, to uh, for a little R. An R by M to try and get him uh, back on track, and uh, unbeknownst to him, he actually winds up in the middle of this lot um, where they uh, have actually uh, are replacing an RAF observer who uh, gets onto the plane, uh, hijacks it, and uh, takes it to the Bahamas. So uh, once um, the uh, Basically, the specter is using the warheads to essentially ransom the, in, the entire world government and uh, Bond, along with uh, all the other 00 agents, this is the first time we really see that he – yes, he is number seven of uh, a few um, – are uh, forced to go and, go and investigate, and uh, Bond naturally tracks him down to the Caribbean, back in familiar Dr. No territory, and uh, heads down there and uh, eventually runs into, uh, Mr. Largo and, uh, Starts uh, the, the will become the familiar dance with uh, our art villain and uh, his uh, beautiful to domino to um, uh, eventually, of course, after much daring do and uh, much suspense, um, retrieve the warheads.
1: And in, in this case, it's uh, I guess an underwater dance with the
0: villain. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's basically from the you know the, the the capture of the warheads where they're their their uh, big innovation is uh no they don't take the plane to uh, land on land they uh actually land on the water and sink it sink it underwater and uh, we get these these the first of the many underwater sequences um, in this film um, which uh I'm sure sure we'll get into but uh it, uh you know yeah they uh, they, they, they definitely got uh, fell m- much in love with uh, their underwater cameras and uh, their underwater dive team
2: yeah and i think a lot I, I think a lot of that was I uh, was reading as well that it was a lot due to Kevin McClory, who uh, we could sort of get into his involvement with this uh, this movie. Uh, he's a name that isn't familiar to that many Bond uh, fans, probably, but he's 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 had quite an impact on the series at at various times. So Kevin McClory was. Uh, was one of the original... He, he was writing a screenplay with Ian Fleming, and so they developed the, the plot line for Thunderball in their screenplay. And eventually, Fleming went and took the screenplay and used it for the Thunderball novel, and so McClory sued for uh, rights. And the eventual result of a fairly lengthy court case with Fleming was that McClory would get all the film rights. So he joined uh, Broccoli and Saltzman in producing this movie. So he's, in fact, the listed producer. And, and I was noticing in the credits, they're not even listed as producers. They just... it's They presented at the beginning, Right. But Kevin McClory gets the only producer credit on this film.
1: And that is that the the only time something like that happened? That's yeah.
2: unusual. Yeah, for sure. I mean yeah. the rest of the times it's it's broccoli and, and well Saltzman were notorious are notorious control well control freaks to some extent. They would never let anyone else have any involvement in this. But in this case they were forced into it.
1: Right. Now the characters in this at this point Sean Connery is well entrenched into the role of Bond. It's his fourth time out. And uh, he's uh, more than comfortable with it. I think he's made it its own, his own uh, in this one.
2: Yeah, I would say that he, he definitely... He's living the part at this point. He doesn't really have to do that much. It, the Bond and he are, are one and the same, almost. Yeah. Uh, you, you notice that his hairline is beginning to recede in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell he's getting a bit older now, and you can sort of sense those things. But uh, he, he's still good. He's still definitely uh, happy with playing the part.
1: And... Uh, uh, we had, I guess, our typical uh, our typical two Bond girls uh, in this one, um, Domino and Fiona. And uh, I guess this continues the the idea of from um, Goldfinger of having one of the um, you know one of the good-looking Bond girls be a villain, or at least starting as a villain.
0: Yeah, yeah. You got the yeah the the good girl and the bad girl. Yeah.
2: Yeah, although in this case, they're both kind of a little bad. I mean, even Domino knows she's she's she identifies herself initially as his ward, but she knows she's his mistress. She doesn't really hide it. Yeah. Um, She knows what she's there for. So I, I like that about her character. There's a certain, um, you know, she's not naive. In some cases, Bond tends to take advantage of some of the women, but not in this case. I think she kind of knows what the score is she knows she knows Lark as well. there
1: wasn't a whole lot to her character but that was sort of the interesting aspect there for sure
2: yeah Yeah. and, yep. and, and obviously the more standout the woman is in fact definitely uh, the Fiona Volpe character uh, played by Luciana Yeah,
1: agreed and um, uh, Bond and Fiona get some, um, uh, some scenes sort of sparring back and forth verbally which are pretty good I think those work fairly well
2: Yeah, they definitely do, and you can just—I mean—the sexual tension is much stronger there, and you can clearly see she gets pleasure in in being evil and in in putting Bond through these challenges or trying to kill him at least.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Certainly, the scenes between them are so good that I I find, to some extent, they're the best scenes in the movie, and everything else sort of pales in comparison. Um, It's the most—I consider her to be by far the most memorable aspect of this movie, and and I think she had an impact on the films after that, as they cast other. Similar villains to her, or in many other films, I think they followed her model for quite a while.
1: Yes, I think that's a good point. Actually, uh, we had yet another uh, take on Felix Leiter in this this film. Uh, yep. With uh, with Rick Van Nutter. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. Not a big fan.
1: Yeah. Also a relatively bland take on on Felix Leiter, as we had in. In goldfinger
2: yeah I think his sunglasses had more personality than he did um and and the fact <laughs> I read also that he was Anita Eckberg's husband and Anita Eckberg right. worked with broccoli and saltzman on other films so this is another example of them casting within the family right. uh, where they where they people they know and they like and they're friends with they, they put in certain parts and I find more often than not that does not lead to the best casting
1: no well, oh yeah uh, I think this is actually the the last time we see Felix for quite a while within
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah, he didn't. I guess he doesn't make sense in the next couple of movies. His presence yeah. would have made and any it, sense.
1: This sort of wraps up the the 1960s take on Felix, if you like. Yeah. Uh, so there were sort of a few where he was there, and then they sort of revived the character much later.
2: Yeah. Too. Yeah. We should also just briefly mention, uh, as a throwaway, but uh, um, the Molly Peters character, I'm not even sure I remember the actress's name, but the, the woman from Shrublands is a good foil for Bond. Uh, it's the, the classic kind of, she doesn't like him, she thinks he's arrogant and obnoxious, but he, he obviously wins her over in the end anyways. Although I do think in this case he uses blackmail to get her, so yeah, it's, Patricia, it's another
1: one. Of, Patricia was the
2: character. Oh, Patricia, right, played by Molly Peters, that's yeah. right. Patricia, and uh, yeah, he does use blackmail, so it's it's, it's kind of typical. But the movie sort of implies that she she sort of was was turning in his favor, anyways, at that point.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, well, yeah, it was it was amenable to <laughs> Yes. <laughs> And yeah, then you know, after, some, after some of my objections and with some of the going on in Goldfinger, it's like, you know, no, that was uh, that was a more palatable. <laughs> That's
1: interesting. And I actually, found it's... the moment in this film was less palatable than the Goldfinger. Okay. But,
0: uh, where... Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, and I'm just saying on, on, on a relative scale. Yeah, <laughs> you know.
1: yeah well, because
2: in fact, it, uh, maybe Brian, in this case, he's just doing it for his own pleasure, and in the other one, you would mm-hmm. say he was doing it for the mission. That's true. Whatever yeah. he was doing in the other one, it was to, to get out of things or to stop things from happening. In this case, it's just because he has sure. power over her. He might as well use it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: th- there was a stronger sense in this one, I thought, of him uh, exert- exerting power over her and coming very close to that line of being raised. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Although on, on on the flip side of that, I mean, just getting back to Domino for a minute, I mean, in terms of you know the way the way he turns her, I mean, they they definitely gave that more of a ju- you know more of a justification with her brother being the observer who was killed, you know, so he yeah. has you know some you know you know a, a real argument to go in and say you know no this 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 is who you're sleeping with. Do you really want to you know, keep yeah. supporting him?
2: Yeah, and, and then again, not that we should be dwelling on this, but the movie does have a fair. I mean, Largo's treatment of her towards the end is fairly sadistic, even for villains in a Bond movie. Um, mm-hmm. So the the movie does definitely tend to push the boundaries a little bit, I think.
1: Yeah, Largo, uh, played by Adolfo Celli, he was... Uh... Yeah, one of the one of the most uh, brutal and sadistic uh, Bond villains that uh, that we see or that we get to see, maybe, you know, was uh, it was, uh, you know, he was sort of played and drawn in quite uh, a brutal way with uh, um you know, uh, wielding uh, torture without a second thought and so on.
2: Yeah, he has no charming, likable side to him at all. Most of the Bond villains seem charming at times. This guy never does.
1: That's right. Mm -hmm.
2: And, yeah maybe I don't know whether that was in the lost in the translation maybe he could have played it more charming or maybe this is the way they wanted him to play it um
1: yeah you know. I, mean,
0: I, I mean I think certainly the way they were setting up sectorctor with the whole uh, you know sort of meeting of the directorate at the at the beginning there it's like you know no I think the the, you know, the, the intention was to present him as you know sort of the you know the the, the ruthless top of the order yeah or I think that, close I, top I, of the- yeah. Yeah,
1: Blofeld and, is back in uh, in this one, and uh, you mean you mean the man with the cat? The man with the cat, yes. Yeah. Spectre,
2: number number Spectre, Spectre number one.
1: Spectre number one. one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is uh, I guess the first time we have uh, an a- um, an actor reprising the role of uh, a villain, uh, or two actors both reprising the role of a villain uh the 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 same hands and the same voice as we saw yes. in from Russia with love although those are yep. different people
2: um yeah, and this is also, the, as you said, the, the opening scene with the Spectre board meeting is is truly a classic. I mean, again, great set design. It really looks cool and evil and modern. And the best part, of course, is the execution of the Spectre agent, who happens to be there. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just, you wonder whether that's like the first of those scenes where, you know, a bunch of bad guys meet, and then one of them gets killed off. I'm sure it's been done before, but you think that they've done it, They did. it was in the Godfather movies, it was certainly a good version of it was in the Untouchables. It's been done in so many movies. And I have to wonder if this was one of the earlier ones of it or.
1: It's quite possible. It certainly was uh, an impressive scene and had, you know, sort of the very dramatic, very modern architecture and the, uh, you know, very stark uh, feeling to things with uh, um, Blofeld being concealed behind frosted glass. And this time it's made clear that Blofeld is it's not just that we don't see him but he is clearly concealing his say his appearance to you know the people who work for him yeah 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 Uh, and then we get the we get the wonderful uh, juxtaposition where we see this meeting of specter of the villains and then we see the meeting of mi6 of the good guys and it has that sort of contrast of the two meetings with, you know, a bunch of people sitting around in this, uh, in, you know, a large space with someone who's the leader sitting at the front. But in one case, the sort of ultra modern, uh, dark, very dark, or, yeah, ultra modern look to it. And then going to the sort of very uh, a classical kind of uh, kind of architecture and very traditional feel with uh, the government agents. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think there's definitely yeah. something to that. Oh, yeah. yeah and uh, as a longtime Prisoner fan, though, I do just have to mention that watching it this time, I mean, this is years before the Prisoner, but it really amused me in the Spectre scene that the first you the first mentioned are number two and number six, who, of course, are the antagonists in the Prisoner. Yes. So. Mm. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah. Almost, so, among other, uh, we were sort of talking about the villains here. Uh, the other villains are don't really register as well. Uh, there's a henchman named Vargas who comes off as a little. He, he does have a bit of an identity, but very little is done with him. And then there's Count Lippy, who is kind of a smarmy bad guy. Right. <laughs> yes,
1: right. Yeah.
2: He, he never seems that menacing, even though he does almost kill Bond or cause him great physical damage. I guess is another way of putting it. Uh, he's more of a sleazy villain than a, a, a dangerous villain
1: yeah that's right um and um i guess uh apart from those sort of opening uh, uh pieces of the two big meetings i think the big set pieces in this really are the underwater uh things because so much of this film uh is underwater
2: yeah which is yeah. it's wonderfully done but of course it's it's a little bit on the boring side yeah
0: yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, guess, I mean, I was, I was going to say that. I mean, the one, I mean, the one set piece we ever, you know, is the actual opening. With the uh, the funeral of the uh, of the agent and uh, Bond, uh, you know, actually pulling off his his, his first kill uh, kill of the film with the uh, the big fight in the chateau at the beginning and um, jetpack obviously
1: and, yeah and, yeah and then you know and then our our
0: our, our first big piece of tech the the, the jetpack they they managed to work it even though you know even Bond has a hard time you know making it actually look that it, you know a, a really effective piece of tech as he struggles into it and takes it, off.
2: And yet it's, it was a working jetpack. It, it well, I know. I, know. Were, I know.
1: There were only a couple in the world and I think two or three pilots that could uh, that could use them. And they actually yeah. asked the, the pilot of it to do the flight without a helmet because they thought that would uh, that that would be better for Bond. And the pilot said no. <laughs> oh and God, of it, Yeah, and of course it was done with the with the helmet. Uh, that pilot had had commented, you know, you see, you know, a Bond lands and then throws the the jetpack into the into the trunk of the car. But, yeah, it must have been hot, right? <laughs> At that yes. point, <laughs> those were so hot that at that point, you would have been able to boil cold water by pouring it onto it. It was, yeah. it was incredibly yeah. hot at that it point.
2: set the car on fire. <laughs> yeah, that, that was
1: basically it.
2: I never thought of that until you just mentioned it.
1: it was, that was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, the return of the DB5 with uh, water cannons deployed to get away.
1: Yes, the Aston Martin DB5. So we're back to the, the classic Bond car, basically as we saw it in Golding
2: yep and the water the water guns are the obvious segue into the to the title uh, sequence which yes. was also very well handled in this case I think it's a uh,
1: yeah and I think an influential one you know the water imagery in the title sequence is sort of an obvious one for this film mm-hmm. but it's something that carries on into a lot of later
2: ones yeah yeah, and this is Maurice Binder coming back from the first film. Uh, since he hadn't done the title credits since Dr. No. And basically, I think he was obviously basically trying to figure out, how can I get nude women onto the screen without offending the censors? And he realized he could do it via silhouettes. And so yeah. he
1: did. And yeah. a
2: whole style was born for him.
1: Well, yeah, and he he liked doing silhouettes, apparently, because he did something with the silhouetted dancers for the Dr. No yep. uh, title sequence. So yep. But they were
2: very
1: yeah, it. Yeah, I do like the uh, the styles he used for those. Though some neat stuff in there. Yep. Um, and now that we're mentioning the the title sequence, what about the theme song? It's
2: a it's pretty good. I mean, it's Tom Jones at his most bombastic and yeah. pretty bombastic. So you really wanted you wanted the big uh, the big title song. I guess you guys probably know the story behind the original theme song, uh, which is that was,
1: was the Shirley Bassey one,
2: right? Uh, Diane Warwick
1: actually. Oh really? Yeah. Didn't they have a Shirley okay. Bassey version
2: of? What? They might actually. They, they may very well.
1: I be. think they were playing with the two of them. They might.
2: They might be. I, on the one disc I have, it's it's the Diane Warwick, but it's Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Bang Bang, which yeah, is yeah. that's current right. to the, the right. score. It's it's throughout the score of the Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang music, but the original. title title theme just wasn't aggressive enough, it wasn't big enough. And so at the fairly late date they went ahead and did this one. And it's probably a good call.
1: Yeah. It sort of fits if you were trying to do something just a little bit different and sort of top the um, uh, the one they had in Goldfinger.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Which was a, a classic theme song, but having Shirley Bassey doing it again Seemed like a little bit of uh, you know a repetition there.
2: Yeah, you need to mix it up a little bit. Uh, and, and I
1: think it did. Um, I think it did. I think it did that quite well.
2: Yeah, it serves. Uh, it definitely. It's tied. It's tied very close to the movie. It's it's an unforgettable title song. Whereas other movies, uh, the title songs have become kind of forgettable. This one, everyone remembers.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, something that I enjoyed with this film was the beginning of the film had sort of a, a like a real um, spy thriller kind of set up to it, re- uh, reminiscent of From Russia with Love, I thought, with the set up of what the villains were doing, planning uh, someone uh, as a replacement RAF guy in order to steal this plane and its missiles and sort of Bring it somewhere else and think it and hide it underwater. I thought that um, that sort of um, segment of the plot was uh, pretty well done. I thought that was really interesting. You know, it was quite grabbing.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that yeah. that, that part of the plot is good. Um, it's certainly a great plan. It's well executed. In fact, it should have worked. It should have gotten away with it. <laughs> if it wasn't for that meddling James Bond.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I've always been a, a, a huge air and space nut. So for me, I mean, yeah, that whole opening sequence with the uh, with the plane and the and stealing it and then landing landing it on the water is uh, something I've always enjoyed.
1: Yes, and of course that brings us into the the famous underwater sequences um, and. That, uh, you know, sort of moment where they, you know, you have a bunch of divers approaching this plane that's underwater. And I think something with the the underwater sequences for the original release of this film, uh, it would have been something that was so new, seeing that, Mm -hmm. seeing all of that underwater stuff and seeing it uh, on the big screen. I think at the time, it probably would have been pretty effective. And uh, now I think some of it still not work, but some of it has the problem that you have these long sequences that tend to be kind of slow because they're underwater and they have no dialogue and you can't see people's faces and it, mm-hmm. uh, you know the sounds are just sort of... Gurgling and things.
2: Yeah. At first time you see it, it's fine. But every other time you just sort of feel like you want to fast forward through those scenes. Yeah. And particularly yeah, and part. particularly the ones where it isn't even featuring Bond. Yeah. You know, it's a fairly lengthy sequence right. where the villains unload and, and bring it back yeah. and it it's there's no dialogue, mm-hmm. there's no Bond development. Oh, yeah. So it really yeah. some of that doesn't hold up as well on, on rewatch. I'm not sure that the, the producers should think of you shouldn't make a movie so that it can be watched on rewatch, because then you'd obviously cut out all of the scenes that matter (laughs) but in this case those scenes do they do add up to a lot of dead weight
0: yeah, yeah, but I do think it's a good point in terms of you know putting it in the context of you know at the time people you know it was revolutionary seeing that much underwater stuff and uh, mm-hmm. you know for for those of us of a certain age who you know grew up watching you know Cousteau underwater specials you know it kind of seems like old hat but uh, but yeah for uh, for not for 1965 it was not, it was not something people people were used to seeing.
1: Yes, if you were uh, a, a fan of Jerry Anderson's Stingray, this would have been quite. Uh, yeah, like quite
0: a <laughs> Yeah, it's one thing they're really underwater, but anyway. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: But uh yeah, while it while those sequences definitely have some problems, I think um uh, they did some impressive stuff with it and uh, I certainly do like some of it
2: yeah, um, um I, the uh, a lot of the underwater filming was actually done by the guys who did flipper so okay. they went on uh, Ivan tours and his studio right. and so basically they went off after this and and basically did flipper for ages and and sea hunt and all the underwater shows that came from
1: that wasn't there an underwater oh, yeah. thing that they had done before this probably because they I were they were already established as uh a team that did that. Yes, most likely.
2: I'm sure they weren't the first ones. I'm sure. I'm sure when they hired them, they had experience. Is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, I, I think something that um, came in a lot with the uh, the underwater stuff was the the score the score for this film by John Barry. Uh, I thought was uh, really quite strong. And in a lot of those those underwater sequences where. Uh, there was a limited amount they could do with it. The, the score and the incidental music really helped uh, add something to it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely one of Barry's strongest full film scores. And the, in fact, like the, the discs that I've got, they basically put a whole Thunderball suite at the end. Like there's a, the last 15 minutes is very much just music. There's so little dialogue at the end of the movie because it's all underwater fighting and then actual fighting. There's, it's really just a long suite for him to play over.
1: Yeah, well mm-hmm. the things mm-hmm. that even the sequence, the uh, sequences on the boat with Largo at the end and things like that, there were a lot of sequences that were not underwater that didn't right. have much in the way of dialogue yeah that's right that's uh, for the fighting scenes for sure
0: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. fighting in the boat, the boat deploying right, and, uh, and what have you
2: yes and as, as yeah. i've always as I've, i continue to mention the the waiter serving champagne during the fight <laughs> yes which makes no sense <laughs> and is clearly either either a joke or just a really bad filmmaking decision
0: yeah, or they, yeah, or they yeah, there, were, there was, there um, there, there was some scene cut out where they thought, you know, yes, he'll, he'll serve him, he'll capture him and serve him champagne, just like in Doctor No. And then they were like, no, just <laughs> have a <same> fight.
2: <laughs> no, it was like that was their victory champagne, except there was no victory. <laughs> they were, they'd already jettisoned half the boat, killed half their men. They were fleeing yeah, yeah. the navy, and here he comes to present a bottle of victory champagne to Largo.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, the one waiter was below deck the whole time, didn't realize what was going on, just getting <laughs> the hors d'oeuvres ready. <laughs>
1: So we had we had quite a bit of uh, dubbing in this film as we had in the, the previous ones, but probably just in terms of uh, characters and importance, I think we had more in this film, right?
2: The villain and the leading lady both being dubbed? Yeah, I think that would probably do it.
1: Um, yeah, with Adolfo Celli as Largo being dubbed and um, uh, Claudine Auger as Domino. Yep also, but uh, uh, Luciano uh, Peluzzi as Fiona, she was not dumb. No. Uh, and I think that was part of what helped have a stronger character there was uh you had that performance without the, the dubbing. Uh Ed- yeah, but yeah. Edmund, did you said that Felix was also dubbed in this one?
0: Yes, I I, I saw that I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, he's Need Egbert Egbert's husband. I mean, you know, it had was Swedish and rather you know, had a rather strong accent, which obviously wasn't gonna work for the supposedly American Felix Leiter. So.
1: Oh, I think a Swedish had- Felix Leiter could have been great fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, but 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 it does it, but it does amuse me. I mean, how and you know you know when they try and re, you know re- recast roles, you know nowadays, and they they do try and get them to look you know somewhat alike. And it's like the three Felixes, are like completely different. <laughs> it's like they they it just really didn't matter to them. It's like you know no, I mean he, he's just the sidekick. It's like whoever we can get, that's fine.
1: <laughs> it did seem like it was sort of whomever they could uh, they could put in as Felix, they would use and. Um, yeah unfortunately that's sort of gone downhill
2: Yeah, well it makes sense you don't want to you don't want to make <laughs> Felix a better actor than the guy playing bond or a stronger personality no. than bond and that that would be a problem yeah, true
0: yeah although I don't know I think I think um... Jack Jack Lord and with Sean Connery worked fine. <laughs>
1: yep, no, that 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 work That did work. Yeah, that would have been the model that I would have liked to see them follow a little bit more in the in the sixties. But what the, you know, what they did was, uh, was well, Lord have so bad because it was a minor character.
2: Yeah, Lord would have probably yeah. expected more screen time if he'd stayed around.
0: Yeah, uh, make it more of a partnership rather than yeah just the guy just the guy who's there for, to facilitate basically.
1: Now, this time, I guess, was the first time we had Hugh coming out to meet Bond in the field and equip him. Yeah. And yeah.
2: Yeah. It wasn't that. I mean, I don't know whether they. I think they decided probably to tone it down from the silliness of the
1: Goldfinger scenes. I guess.
2: And it, it it's kind of not a big moment in this particular
1: movie. Yeah. I think the Goldfinger approach was more of the model for where they. Uh, they go ultimately with it. Yeah. Um, I thought Q was
2: complaining a little too much to have been sent to the Bahamas.
1: <laughs> I was a little yeah. bit surprised. That,
2: that seemed unnecessary.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I had relatives who worked in the civil service. Believe me, they can complain about things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I never understood it either.
2: <laughs> yeah, they also, um, when Q gets there, you also have some scenes with um, the Paula character, who uh, is, an unfortunately, fairly useless and really not bright either. Right. Um, there's the scenes where she meets up with Fiona Volpe in the hotel room and really exhibits about as much intelligence as, as a, a, you know, a sting, uh, sorry, a jellyfish or a sea sponge. She's really not very bright. She then promptly gets herself captured, tortured, and commits suicide, so... Uh, not one of the finest agents of the Her Majesty's government.
1: Yeah, that's right. That wasn't something that worked uh, the the best of the, the things they did in this film. No, I mean uh, if you're
2: gonna if you're gonna have a sacrificial lamb make us care somewhat. Yeah. And they really didn't make you care at all.
1: Yeah, I don't think you yeah. worked as well in this film as he had in the previous one. No. It felt more uh, more forced than this
2: one. Yeah. although and the gadgets were were fairly low key and sensible. There was nothing. The jetpack was the most outrageous gadget, and that was really uh, done away with in the first uh, the first scene. Although I guess I will say that the what Bond does in the very last scene seems completely ridiculous. And for me, always slightly cheapens the ending. Um, right. I gather someone had suggested this was a possible thing to do when they get picked, they get picked up by the airplane or.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, no, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it's a real, it's a real technique. Device. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 Air Force has. So, and, uh, but, uh, <laughs> never struck me as necessary because uh, they're pretty, yeah, I mean,
2: the Navy was yeah, in
0: I mean, a hot it, I mean, it, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the. uh, I mean, it, it, it's one, of, I, I think it was one of those ideas that, uh, you know, basically the, the re- military research came up with and thinking, you know, oh, this, this would be cool to do, you know, and then they actually <laughs> got it done, and it was like, yeah, except when, when is this ever going to come up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why would we do this?
1: Yeah, yeah. One, well, the jetpack was a little bit like that too. Truth be told, yeah. But the uh, it was. It seemed like one of those things as the jetpack probably was that oh, here's something we can do. How yeah. can we work this into the story? Yeah. So Not, could have... this is what the story needs, and then can you know what can we construct for that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the rebreather gadget, the little uh, um, miniature uh, device for breathing underwater, was uh, sort of nicely incorporated and well used in this. Yep. And um, it makes, even though
2: it didn't work, it makes sense as, as something you'd think would be good in this kind of situation.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Until you start thinking about, okay, how does he breathe out? <laughs> <laughs> But luck but luckily as ever, this where, where it's used, it's far too exciting for you to think about. Right, really the shark like
2: the that. shark scenes. <laughs> yeah. And those were those were pretty good scenes. The the when Bond ends up with the shark, which one definitely one of the more tense scenes of the movie, even though it does suffer from being underwater again. It is it is yeah. a pretty good scene. Yeah. And that, apparently oh, apparently yeah. it was just a, a very thin sheet of glass separating uh I the shark yeah. From yeah. From but, glass separating Connor. Uh, uh, well, but, shark.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, well, what what I heard about that was that yeah, so you know the I mean Connor was, was quite trepidatious about being in the pool with the sharks. So they, they put this plexiglass in, but they, they didn't mention or didn't realize or didn't mention that, you know, no, it didn't go all the way across the pool. There was a four foot
1: <laughs> gap and the sharks could go right after uh, the they thought about <laughs> yeah,
0: it, yeah. Yeah. So one of the sharks just swam around. <laughs>
1: uh yeah, I think that one that one marvelous scene with Connery going through the tunnel and being passed by the by the shark. Uh, I think there was one scene there uh, where he actually was passed by a shark without the, the plexiglass there and yeah, he didn't stay in the water much longer after that.
0: no. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and also it was kind of nice to see uh, that, uh, kind of like the DB5, that Spectre has vehicles with missiles and fun attachment to them. That uh, motorcycle that Fiona uses to uh, take out Leppy.
1: Yep, that's true. That's right. There's something of uh, uh, an arms race, if you like, between the different uh, the different players here, and it continues yep. the Spectre idea. It continues the Spectre idea of there being. Uh, sort of Spectre as a third party in the Cold War, which is something I like very much.
0: Yeah, they're sort of the, the wild card trying to stir uh, up trouble. Yeah, as we said, al- al- almost getting away with it. <laughs> Yeah, now now what now? One thing that it did did kind of in, intrigue me in this one, because kind of, I mean, in terms of the final battle and even the you know the the ending on the disco volante, but uh, you know, in, in you know the that yes Bond is involved, but uh, you know it's essentially it's, get, it's getting the uh, you know na- naval paratrooper squad to come in to uh, battle this you know the the spectre hordes that uh, turns the battle. You know, obviously he's involved, but it's kind of like you know he's, he's just part of the army, and then uh, even at the very End. You know, he does. He he does not take out Largo. It's you know, it's Domino getting him with the spear gun that turns it all. So uh, it had to be
1: personal with uh, with her killing him.
0: Yeah, but yes, uh,
1: he was one of the pieces, but it was not all him yeah yeah
0: yeah you know because that you know because given the sort of, the sort of you know that, that cliche image of you know yeah bomb the super spy who you know t- you know t- takes out these people you know all, all on his own and it was that that was definitely not not the case with this one Yeah, it's nice you know we certainly see, set up an ocean yeah, but uh yeah but uh, he couldn't do it all on his own
2: yeah it's nice to see some variations I mean, he's instrumental in taking down Largo, so I think that that counts for something, oh yeah, like uh, the implication being that Largo with his uh, in his super fast hover boat or whatever his you know his hovercraft would have gotten away. Uh, so bond is necessary at that point.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: And if he did, I mean, he, yeah, he doesn't. He certainly identifying where the bombs were were key. So the the fight is he's not as relevant in the fight itself, but uh, he still saves the day.
1: Oh, of course, of course. Sure, I'll go with
0: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, yeah. although it also brings out the point of you know, okay, so. if They were were going to set set off this bomb, what was the original plan, (laughs) was the hydrofoil to get him far enough away so that uh, Largo wouldn't have to worry about fallout and silly things like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess I don't know when they were going to blow it up. They just wanted it in place so they
0: could.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because it was uh, the the thread, our sort of thriller setup for this was like a ransom kind of thing.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And unlike unlike in Goldfinger, you know, we 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 don't have the the dramatic countdown and uh, trying to save, save the day before they get to zero or double oh seven. So. <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, why don't we wrap this up with our sort of final uh, final thoughts on uh, on this one? So, Edmund. Uh summing it up, what did you think of, uh, of Thunderball? What would you say?
0: Um, there are, I mean, there, there are elements that I like. I mean, there are certainly, you know, there, there are parts of it, uh, you know, certainly in terms of some of the, the sector setups and, uh, you know, the, the character dynamics sort of, the you know, in a way that's kind of the the first of the, you know, the the classic setup of Bond girls. Um, and, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the, this is one that I don't think it has aged as well in terms of the, the, uh, the way the underwater sequences play now, and uh, you know, so it's uh, you know, it's it's it, it's. I found it still, you know, it's still an, enjoy- an enjoyable film, but uh, it um, you know, it doesn't doesn't quite have the the zip of the uh, of the earlier films.
2: Okay, fair enough. Gary? Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I've I wasn't. I've always had a sort of a down opinion about this movie, and watching it again didn't really improve it for me. I, I find a lot of the action sequences boring and repetitive because of the underwater quality. I think also we didn't spend a lot of time in locations, but locations aren't that interesting. I mean, a health club, and then the Bahamas, and they've already been to the Caribbean, so, you know, it's nice scenery and everything, but it wasn't all that, uh, all that interesting. The underwater stuff obviously looked good, but it, it had the, detract, the detraction of being slightly boring. But yeah, I just felt uh, this movie, a lot of things are silly. Uh, a lot of the plotting just didn't seem to work as well within the story. Like A lot of the running around the hotels in the Bahamas wasn't as interesting as it could have been. And uh, yeah, I, I was always uh, finding this to be a little bit on the boring side.
1: Okay. I will say that I find this is a fun one. It's entertaining. I enjoy it but it is not a favorite uh, for me as Bond films go. It's, it's, it's okay, and I certainly uh, enjoy watching it, but uh, it's not uh, as high on my list as any of the, the first three. And I would put it as sort of being somewhere in the middle. It's okay.
2: Yeah, if I were to rank it, I would, it'd probably be fairly low for me in terms of particularly when it, when it comes to Bond movies for me a lot of it is whether I enjoy rewatching it and uh, this is very low on the list of films that I like to re-watch and some of the ones I do like to rewatch might be worse films than Thunderball <laughs> I won't, I'll admit that but uh, this does not we'll, fit be getting the, yeah, we'll be getting there eventually but this one does not uh, fit, fit the bill for me so it's, it's sort of one of the forgotten Bonds for me
1: okay, or, or
2: forgettable, forgettable Bonds I guess <laughs> is another way of putting it
1: okay well thank you for listening James Bond will return in You Only Live Twice. And this is Brian. Take care, folks.
0: This is Edmund. See See you next time. Yep, see you soon. Thank you for listening to Hooked on Bond. Find out more at hookedonbond.com or on Facebook. Hooked on Bond is broadcast on the Voice of Geeks Network at vognetwork.com.